Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Hey, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We've got a terrific lineup for you this week. John Wartime from Sports Illustrated will join me. We'll talk about the legacy of Peyton Manning in Indianapolis. We know Peyton Manning is moving on, probably going to make a decision pretty quickly about where he is going to be playing football next, but he left quite a legacy in Indianapolis. We'll talk about that with John Wartime coming up on our podcast today. Uh, Josh Shaw from Mission Athlete Care. They work with athletes like Dwight Howard, uh, Serena Williams, Dwayne Wade. These are athletes who are developing product that athletes want. It's a big company. It's growing quickly. We'll talk to Josh Shaw, the president and founder of Mission Athlete Care, during the show today. And then Bo Kimball from Loyola Marymount. You may remember the 1990 uh, men's basketball team that went on and played so well in the NCAA tournament after the tragic death of Hank Gathers. Bo Kimball's left-handed free throw, still one of the iconic moments in NCAA tournament history. I was the voice of that basketball team. I've known Bo for a long time. I knew Hank Gathers. We will catch up with Bo Kimball. What is he doing now? We'll find out. And then Greg Shaheen, the man in charge of the entire NCAA tournament. He joins me annually right around this time of year to talk March Madness. We'll catch up with Greg Shaheen of the NCAA, the man behind March Madness. That's also coming up on our show today. Brian Griggs, uh, we've got our, our March Madness pool going on, and uh, it's fun every year. It is fun, and it's uh, it's literally a crapshoot. I mean, I have no rhyme or reason to why I pick teams. You know, I kind of go through. I pick a couple episodes, a couple of obvious wins, you would think, and it always comes out in, in something crazy. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that we, you and me are at the top of it. So far, we are. It's yes. early. <laughs> it is early, yeah. And it's been chalk so far, mostly. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. But uh, it's been fun to watch. It's one of my favorite events of the year. Coming up next, we'll bring you some headlines. You're listening to Sports business radio this is sports business radio with brian berger more of the show is coming up yeah i know he's been a good friend of mine but lately something's changed it ain't hard to define just has got himself a girl and i want to make a mine it's the age of new media and citizen journalism everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. 
Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, headline number one, the NCAA tournament is underway. The $10.8 billion property for the NCAA, just huge business. We'll break down the business of the NCAA tournament with the man who runs it all, Greg Shaheen, coming up later in the show. Our next headline, the Peyton Manning watch continues. Where will Peyton Manning play next? Uh, He's talked to... Several teams, but it looks like Denver and Tennessee are probably the two finalists. He'll probably begin working out for these teams, and then they will make their decision. But Griggs, you know, when you get Peyton Manning, it's not just you're getting a football player. You're literally merging corporations with the most marketable player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Whoever ends up getting him is just, uh, yeah, like you said, it's a huge product. It's more than just the field. And, uh, you know, he's such a, a versatile guy uh, on and off the field. And, I think Denver just seems like a good fit for me with John Elway there. I mean, it's just uh, you know the history of quarterbacks at that uh, franchise. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it's it's exciting to watch. But he played his college football at Tennessee. He could true. have the complete circle, the beginning of his career and the end of his career in Tennessee. True. True. You know, I also think Arizona should be in the mix. He visited with them. But we'll see. Uh, whoever lands Peyton Manning will sell a lot of tickets, a lot of Peyton Manning jerseys, extra sponsorships. It'll be big business for that team. Speaking of big business, the biggest contract ever handed out for a wide receiver this week to Megatron, Calvin Johnson of the Detroit Lions wide receiver. Seven years, $132 million, $60 million signing bonus. And then the very next day, Mario Williams signs the biggest contract ever for a defensive player, uh, $100 million over six years, $50 million guaranteed. NFL, it's like they're growing money on trees. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It is. It's like there's no shortage of uh, funds involved in the NFL, and yeah, that's a huge signing with Megatron. Uh, a lot of money, a sixty to sixty million bonus. I mean, wow, unbelievable. Yeah, for a wide receiver. I mean, yeah. usually it's the quarterbacks that get the yeah. big marquee money, but uh, Calvin Johnson, who is along with Larry Fitzgerald, the two best wide receivers in the game, getting big money from the Detroit Lions. Our last headline of the week, the NBA trade deadline came and went this last week. Dwight Howard opted in to his contract for next year, so he'll stay in Orlando for at least one more season, unless he's traded. But uh, the Magic want to keep him in Orlando, and he's under contract until the end of next season now. What does that mean for Darren Williams in New Jersey, who thought maybe Dwight Howard would join him this summer? It remains to be seen. I think he's going to Dallas, where he's from. Mark Cuban cleared some cap space last summer by not re-signing Tyson Chandler and some other players. So I would say Darren Williams in Dallas this summer. But it'll be an interesting offseason. Some other trades uh, made this week. The Blazers made a lot of moves. We're based in Portland. They fired head coach Nate McMillan. We saw the Knicks fire uh, Mike D'Antoni, or actually Mike D'Antoni resigned, however you want to position that. Uh, things not going well in in New York with the Knicks under D'Antoni in the last uh, month or so. So it'll be interesting to see the NBA down the stretch, basically five weeks to go, and uh, then we head into the playoffs, and it's been a shortened NBA season, so lots of business in a 
briefer amount of time. Yeah, and it's kind of, I mean, I couldn't believe the trade deadline this week already. It seems like it came, it seems like we just started the season, all of a sudden we're trading players and the deadline, and then, like you said, playoffs are just around the corner. It's going to be uh, exciting to see how some of these these new players on different teams mesh and how they work to get uh, to that, that ultimate goal. And then, like you said, a couple of coaches uh, removed, and we'll have to see how that goes. And then, uh, you know, I was kind of uh, happy that Howard did not hold the decision Indecision, indecision. Yeah, indecision. 2012 exactly. with Dwight Howard. Yeah, that was a debacle. Yeah, and uh, you know, finally it was resolved one way or another. But I have a feeling next year at this time around yeah. the trade deadline, we're going to go through the same thing. Exactly. All right. Coming up next, John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. He's a terrific writer for them. He's written several books, but he's lived in Indianapolis, and he will bring us a rare perspective about what Peyton Manning meant to the Indianapolis community. We'll talk to John Wartime coming up next. Later in the show, Greg Shaheen, the man who runs the NCAA tournament for the NCAA. I'm Brian Berger, along with Brian Griggs, executive producer. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Joining me now to discuss this, someone who's lived in Indianapolis, also a terrific writer for Sports Illustrated, my friend, John Wartime. John, how are you? Good. You didn't say I also lived in Portland. That's right. You lived in Portland, too. You've lived in a lot of places. Now, now I'm in New York. You're going to get some authentic street noise, so I apologize for that. <laughs> so is Peyton Manning going to be joining you in New York, you think? Uh, boy, the rumors are already flying fierce. Yeah, I bet everyone I wants think, him to come uh, there, right? Yeah, I, I don't think uh, New York is in the cards. Um, the, the Eli Payton show would be a zoo. I don't think he's playing for the Jets. Uh, Denver, I just saw in the last half hour, hot rumor, which would be the ultimate circus, of course. Um, you know, I, I think teams are not only going to have to look at whether he'll help them. They've got to look at some salary cap numbers. They've also got to – I mean, he's still got to clear some team medical staff. I mean, I, I don't think that uh, – you know, they're, they're necessarily uh, every team but the Colts bidding here. I think some teams are just not going to think it's worth the risk. I mean, Arizona last night was the team I was hearing, and given, you know, Kurt Warner and Emmett Smith ended his career there, that seems reasonable. But, um, you know, this, this is going to be. This is going to be a circus for the next few months, I think. John, talk about the impact that Peyton Manning had on the community in Indianapolis for 14 years, because there's the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital. I mean, this is a guy who was synonymous with the Indianapolis community. Is any athlete to any community in the United States? Yeah, I mean, I think you also have to look, where was this 
franchise when he came. This was this was a laughing stock franchise. They came from Baltimore into these weird circumstances, and you know, for almost 15 years, it had been this comedy show. I mean, it was a disastrous team, and basketball was king, and the Colts were sort of an afterthought. They played in this awful dome, and you look at where they are now. All you know, I mean, you can you can put a lot of it on Peyton Manning. They have a new stadium. The team is really well regarded. They won more games than any other franchise from 2000 to 2010. They won the Super Bowl. All of this at the same time when Indiana basketball was sort of on the decline, thanks you know to Bob Knight and Ron Artest. So I think in the context of sort of Indiana sports culture, this is the town that, that not only loves its sports but is really invested. I mean, the NCAA is there, a number of governing bodies there. This is really a big industry in Indianapolis, and with basketball fading, for Peyton Manning to do what he did really had a huge impact on the community. And, you know, too, he was there 14 years, and there were never sort of indications he was going to bolt. He never sort of extorted anyone. I mean, it was a very comfortable relationship. So I think that's what people said, how could this guy be crying? How could the owner be crying? We all saw this coming. But I think if you sort of look at where this team was, in 1998 when the Colts drafted it, it makes a lot more sense. Well, there were probably a lot of people in that community that were crying today during that press conference. The people that Peyton Manning has quietly helped in the community, the children's hospital that bears his name, the kids who have posters and and jerseys of Peyton Manning. I imagine this is a tough day for some of the people in Indianapolis today. Oh, absolutely. And he also sort of validated Indiana. Whoever thought that, you know, you've got, there, there are no beaches and there's no you know, New York buzz or L.A. scene. I mean, this is the middle of uh, the middle of the country. There's no baseball team even. And here's this great A-list superstar who's winning titles and is there 14 years. And, again, that he played his career there and kept talking about how he wanted to retire there. He, he really fit into the um, to, to the fabric of Indiana. No, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think they, they heard today that they're going to retire that number 18 jersey, and I think that's still going to sell awfully well uh in Indianapolis, regardless of where of where Peyton Manning ends up, who has more pressure in Indianapolis going forward, Jim Ursay or Andrew Luck? Yeah, we were just talking about that, and um, I mean, I think honestly, deep down, I mean, it, it was it got a little funky at times, and it sort of was at some periods of messy divorce. But I think Colts fans realize, look, you've got the number one pick. We all love Peyton Manning, but. The guy's in his late 30s. He's coming off of four different surgeries. I mean, I, I think the fans right now are uh, are supporting the team and saying basically this is unfortunate, but we sort of get where both sides stand. If Andrew Luck is, I mean, you know, I mean, we've seen this with number one picks, right? I mean, Cam Newton, I marks, and some people are middle of the Stafford, middle of the road. There are also Jamarcus Russells and Tim Couches and, uh, you know, David Carrs out there. If, you know, Andrew Luck is is not what we think he is, and it's not uh, the kind of guy who makes a smooth transition to the pros. This could get real ugly. Remember, too, this is a team that's really in rebuilding mode. There's you know a new GM, a new coach, players getting old on the defense. I mean, this is going to be a really really interesting year for the Colts. And Andrew Luck uh, comes into a, a pretty pressure packed situation uh, succeeding Peyton Manning. Yeah, I mean, anytime you succeed a legend, that's difficult enough. But it seems like because of the success of Cam Newton and, and people like that, that now, you know, Andrew Luck's going to be their starting quarterback from day one, most likely, and they're going to expect him to win immediately. People forget Peyton Manning, even in his first season, he didn't get it right away through a ton of interceptions. Andrew Luck, I don't know that he's going to have the luxury of that learning curve. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're coming off a two-win season, so you, uh, you, you've got that going for you if you're luck. But, no, I mean, 
you have the number one pick. So I think fans are thinking, you know, if we were middle of the road, if the Colts had been seven and nine and we're picking in the middle of the draft, you know, Peyton Manning's probably still on the roster today. But I think you have the number one pick. Fans get that, look, your incumbent, as great as he was, is getting up there. This is a rare opportunity. But, boy, uh, you know, Andrew Luck, um, you, you wish him the best because this is uh, unprecedented since, you know, Aaron Rodgers. You look at these guys who've had a couple of years to mature and adjust. Uh, Andrew Luck is not going to have that luxury. We're joined by John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. So you think if the Colts had, let's say, the number three pick, and it wasn't a $28 million option, it was a $10 million option, you think Manning is still with the Colts? Three is interesting. I mean, I, I don't know who – I mean, then do, you, do you still pick a quarterback at three? I mean, then it's a completely different scenario. And you're, and you're right. I mean, then obviously the salary cap math is, uh, is different too. I mean, I, I think the one thing that um, – I, I get where Peyton Manning's coming from, but boy, it would have been nice if he had given back some of that salary and sort of said, let's see how this plays out, and I'll either be a mentor or if the kid's not ready, maybe we'll give it a go. I understand $28 million is $28 million, but that there is this angle that nobody's talking about today that sort of agents get involved, and, and you know maybe this didn't have to play out uh, necessarily the way it did. But I, I think, you know, again, had this been a different pick, the Colts would have had a tougher choice, but you've got the number one pick, and there's a really solid, highly touted, everybody loves him quarterback available, and the incumbent is, you know, pushing his late 30s coming off the season in which he didn't play a snap. I, I think most fans get that, unfortunate as it is, got to make that move. Well, and John, the thing that's going to be really interesting and, and kind of comical to watch is you've got some owners out there in the NFL that can't get out of their own way, and are just desperate for a guy like Peyton Manning on their roster. I think of Stephen Ross in Miami. I look at Dan Snyder. Um, I wonder, you know, is there somewhere out there that someone's going to overpay for Peyton Manning because they think, hey, he's going to come in and uh, win a Super Bowl for me right away. He's going to be good to my bottom line right away. Do you think there's some owners out there? And then, you know, Tom Condon is his agent, and like you just brought up, these agents, they're not looking for the, the $2 million deal. They want the $20 million deal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, keep in mind the quarterback status in the, you know, in the NFL right now. I mean, you know, Carson Palmer is brought in off of uh, the rehab treadmill. I mean, you know, Steve Rosenfeld is an, is an NFL starting quarterback, so I think there are a lot of owners who are saying, you know, I don't know what the status of Peyton Manning is, but yeah, I'll give this a shot. Three-time MVP, I'll give that a shot. And we've seen, you know, Favre and Kurt Warner, we've seen some of these quarterbacks into their late 30s, even their early 40s, still putting up some numbers. So I, I think there's definitely going to be a market here. But again, the, the sort of X factor here is Peyton Manning's health. I mean, you talk to people in Indiana, and, you know, it was not given that he would be ready to go anytime soon. So I think, you know, we, we can sort of talk about where there's a need Veteran quarterback, we can talk. I mean, the teams you named are great examples where I don't think anybody's going to really fault the owner. You know, you're, you're not exactly uh, unseating Aaron Rodgers and Eli Manning if you put Peyton Manning in as your starter, but we got to make sure this guy's ready to play. And, that, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, Peyton Manning, oh, older brother, cut short with a nerve injury. I mean, I, I hear these. You know, you're, you're basically you're, you're talking about spinal doctors on the record, and you just sort of cringe and say, "My gosh, I hope this guy knows what he's doing." It would be really nice if he said, "You know, I'm, I'm wealthy. My, my grandkids will not have to worry about college, and I've accomplished all I wanted to, and I won my Super Bowl." You know, it's it's time to hang it up because when you're interviewing multiple spinal specialists, you you sort of cringe. Um, 
you know, when you when you think about what could happen if he gets hit the wrong way. Well, the you know Peyton Manning comes across as this all shucks, you know, Opie kind of guy, but inside of him is this burning, burning competitiveness. And I thought that came out at the end of the press conference when he was asked about whether or not he's going to retire, and he talked about how hard he's been working to get back out on the field. I think a, you know, he wants to show Indianapolis and Jim Irsay that he still can play. And he just—he's not a guy who seems to me that can walk away. Whether it's you know the Muhammad Ali's of the world or whoever it is, I, I don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I mean you know so, somebody made a good point. When, when does it end well? I mean, uh, you know, Kim Olajuwon plays for the Raptors, and uh, you know Jordan on the Wizards. I mean, it, it seldom ends gracefully. But no, I mean I, I think you're absolutely right. That Peyton Manning cuts this figure is just a normal, normal guy who happens to throw a really nice spiral, and that's one of the reasons why he played so well in Indiana. That's one of the reasons why he's sort of been this effective pitchman, even though there's nothing particularly outrageous about his image. But clearly, he's not wired the way you and I are. I and mean, I think that 99.9 percent of us would say, you know what, it's been a great career, and I want to be sure I'm healthy for my grandkids. And he's He's still going out there, but even even this whole process. I mean, during the Super Bowl, there was sort of this awkward back and forth between ownership and leaks and the agents, and you, you definitely sense that there's a real edge to this. And I think that you know, ultimately, today seemed like a you know, it was like a bad breakup, or it was like a divorce where parties didn't really want to do it, but they sort of both knew they had to. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, five years from now what Peyton Manning's relationship is with Indianapolis. But there's definitely, I mean, you know, if, if this guy were, were just Oshuk's Opie. Uh, you know, he does not make the decision he made here. Well, and make no mistake, he bailed Jim Irsay out today because if Jim Irsay gets up there by himself or just puts out a release saying we've cut Peyton Manning, I think it's a whole different story than Peyton Manning getting up there, being the class act that he was, and, and kind of letting Irsay off the hook. They both bailed out the Saints. That was my first thought. But no, I agree. <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, I mean, it's sort of a mutual hostage thing. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think Irsay's. First of all, I think he's a genuinely good guy. I mean, I don't think this was a whole lot of shtick. I mean, I think he really was torn by this. But, again, sort of given the reality, given the pick Indiana is looking at, given the fact that, you know, again, Manning did not play it down, and there's no guarantee he will next year, I, I don't think Ursay would have come off all that bad saying, look, I wanted to keep the guy, I wanted to restructure things, but you have to understand my position. I think most fans kind of got that. And I think deep down, I mean, you read the headline. You know, Colts cut. You know, Colts part ways with Manning. And you say that's something I never thought I'd see, but I think I think people right now get it, and they realize you know this guy's not talking about next season. He's talking about the next ten years, and this was a move uh, he had to make. I mean, no question when they both come out together, um, it sort of helps from an optics standpoint. But I, I think Ursay uh, is pretty good with Colts fans right now, I and mean, I think I think they get that he did not have an easy choice and sort of did what was right for the team long term. Well, as I said earlier in the show, this is the biggest cut in sports since Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team, right? Yeah, we, uh, we, we were joking. Yeah, exactly. A uh, little, little, uh, little different scenario. Michael Jordan didn't uh, want that $28 million cash out at that time. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think uh, we're going to have you know, a couple months of, of rumor central, where is Peyton going to end up? But I think, it, it, I'm glad you brought it up, because I think, to me, ultimately, the more interesting story is what's going to happen to Andrew Luck and these, uh, these two Colts. John Wartime from Sports Illustrated. Find him on uh, Twitter at John underscore Wartime. John, thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right, very good. Thanks, friend. This is SBR. 
back with more after this. You're the perfect part of me. You're the oxygen I breathe. You're a super... Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. We want to go to the phone lines and welcome Josh Shaw, the founder and president of Mission Athlete Care. Josh, how are you? Good. How you doing, man? Good. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Tell us about Mission Athlete Care. It seems like a really uh, innovative company. Tell us about what you do and who's involved. Sure, no problem. Well, thanks for having me today. We appreciate it. Um, so Mission Athlete Care is really an, a new age company. Um, most likely, probably the, um, the uh, new innovation firm for anything from equipment to sports medicine to personal care. So probably the easiest way to understand what we're about is that we, we create new products that ultimately help athletes prepare, perform, and recover from activity. And our focus on that innovation lives at the intersection of personal care, sports medicine, equipment. And you've got athletes like Serena Williams, Dwayne Wade, David Wright, Mia Hamm. You just signed Dwight Howard. So you're literally going to the athletes themselves, the elite athletes, to get their input in developing these products, correct? That's right. That's right. And that's the premise for the business. I mean, it's not rocket science when you think about it. In fact, it's it's actually sad that most companies don't do it. But we bring the world's best athletes into the innovation process because who's better to, to create, design, or field test? products for athletes than the world's best. And I think too often in today's world, big, you know, packaged good companies get caught up in their ivory towers, they forget who the end consumer is, and they, they innovate in a vacuum. We're the exact opposite. We go out there, we sit with Serena, we train with her, we work with Dwayne, Carmelo, Steve Nash, David Wright, and we literally have the athletes part of the development process, all the way from ideation, from what's missing in the market, to what does it look like when it gets on shelf? So I've got to imagine when you approach these athletes, they're pretty open to working with you because they want to develop products that are more helpful for them, but then also they see the upside of uh, helping younger players and, and people you know who aren't playing professionally, I guess. That's exactly right. I mean, the reality is for the athletes, there's really probably three different areas of interest that we hit on when we sit down with a new athlete. First and foremost is, all of them are champions. I mean, every athlete we have involved in our company isn't just a champion on the field or on the court. They're a champion in life in general, so they aspire to do more by nature. So getting involved in a startup and being entrepreneurial is clearly something that they, they get excited about. Second, and really more to the point you raised, is they want to perform better. They want to prepare better, perform 
stronger and faster and recover quicker so they can perform again. So the idea of creating products that truly enhance performance or speed up recovery is also right at their sweet spot. And then finally, leaving an imprint and, and building something of value to pass along to fellow athletes or future stars, if you will, is also something that clearly gets them excited. Josh Shaw, the founder and president of Mission Athlete Care, is joining us on the phone. So give us a few examples of products that have been developed in conjunction with these elite athletes. Sure, no problem. So probably our biggest success by far in the last uh, three years of of being in market is our uh, Mission Court Group, which we launched last October. We spent a good, probably the better part of 12 months developing it with Dwayne Wade, um, directly, and he and his trainer, coupled with a few other guys in the league who tested it, but Dwayne was probably the most heavily handed in it, and this product became a rocket ship for our business in Q4 last year uh, when we launched it in market. We launched it exclusively with Foot Locker. Um, they did a tremendous job bringing it to market with their in-store execution and their out-of-store support, and this month actually marks the end of the exclusivity, and it's launching nationwide at Dick's Sporting Goods, Models, and a host of other regional and national retailers. But the product itself, to get to your question, is a real innovation in sports. And I think it, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating because the tech summit that occurs at the NBA All-Star is always focused on digital. And someone said to me, you know, Mark Cuban should really be talking about court grip at the next tech summit because it's a technological advancement in in basketball, and it's not digital or social. It's about creating true innovation that helps performance. And the product, which was designed for the better part of four years, actually eliminates one of the oldest problems for indoor athletes, not just basketball, but volleyball, indoor soccer, you name it, and it's court slippage. Slippage due to dust or dirt, condensation, anything that mucks up the court, which could be anything from the, you know, the halftime show and the cannonballs and the cheerleaders to the announcers. But the reality is for a player who's, who, where inches or centimeters matter, slipping could be the end of a, a point, a game, you name it. It could be detrimental. So we have this product. It's patent pending worldwide. It's a tremendous innovation that you swipe on the bottom of your soles, dries instantly, no harm on the sole or the floor, but gives you instant traction for 15 minutes. And this is on the bus. See, I play basketball every week, and I play at this little grade school, and the court is so slippery and dusty, so I might be interested in this. You put this on the bottom of your shoes, and it helps you exactly. w- with your traction. That's exactly right. So right now, watch any NBA game, and you'll see court grip and its sister product, power grip, which is for your hands, I'll get to in a second, on the scorer's table in every arena. But go to the churches or the elementary schools or any of the intramural leagues where you play or I play in, and guys are spitting in their hand, wiping their soles, trying to get just a little edge and get the cake of dust off their sneaker. This eliminates all that. This product is a true revolutionary innovation. It was so widely hailed. I mean, it was unanimously approved by the NBA Trainers Association. The NBA endorses it. We brought it into the league really once, once the season started, and it's been picked up by almost every player. I mean, we, I think we guesstimate somewhere around 30 to 40% of the players in the league are using that product and or our power grip, which is a uh, liquid chalk for your hands. You put two drops in your hand, and it gives you dry hands for about an hour. Wow, that's interesting. So when you go to the NBA, I imagine it helps when you're coming in with Dwayne Wade, Steve Nash, uh, Dwight Howard, Brandon Jennings as your partners. It probably gets their attention. They see you're legit. Yeah, that's right. It does. Um, you know, having that caliber of partners, and they're not just hired guns. I mean, that's the key here is that our business model isn't just the traditional, you know, paid spokesperson routine. We are 
truly partners with the athletes. They're equity owners in the business. Every one of our athletes owns equity. And so when you walk into any meeting, whether it's a, a Foot Locker, a Dick Sporting Goods, uh, or, or the NBA, it carries a lot more weight to say these are people who have, who have really bet on the business, have gotten in at the, at the DNA level, and they're part of the company. They're true partners in the venture. They're vested in the success. And it, it really does make a difference. So when you go to them and talk to them about being a part of this and you offer them equity, do you also talk to them about, all right, let's sit down with you and find out a product that we can develop with you so they kind of each have a product that they have a hand in? So that's, that's exactly where we start. We actually start with what, you know, what do you currently do for your training routine? What's part of your regimen? What's working? What's not working? What do you have today that falls short, that doesn't last long enough, that, doesn't, that isn't portable? That isn't multifaceted or multi-purpose. Then we'll take that feedback. We'll look within our innovation. Uh, we have a formal process called the athlete engineered process here at the company. We'll plug it in, and then we'll come back to the athlete with options and solutions. Some of them may, may be completely disruptive. Some of them may be slight tweaks on what's already in market. But for the most part, we focus on the innovation with the athlete and what will help them prepare, perform, or recover better and faster. Well, that's great stuff. Josh Shaw, president and founder of Mission Athlete Care. You can find them online at missionathletecare.com. Josh, I really appreciate your time. It sounds like a fantastic idea. Let's stay in touch, and uh, please keep me posted on how things progress. Thanks. I appreciate it. And we, uh, we're launching Dwight Howard's new product in about 60 days, so I'll be sure to get you some. I can't, can't disclose what it is yet, but it's going to be as disruptive and revolutionary as court group. All right. Well, I want to see some of that court grip. I'd try that out and uh, and give some feedback out there. I play basketball it, every I'll week. I'll send you a package. I'll send you a package, and, and I'll send you some extra to give away to your fans. All right. That sounds great. Josh, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Take care. That's Josh Shaw with Mission Athlete Care. Find them online at missionathletecare.com. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. She's a black cat hanging around my door still. I'll need all day tomorrow to recover from today. I was boxing with my shadow at a stoplight when the clock changed. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Bo is going to take his first free throw left-handed in honor of his friend, Hank Gabby. <laughs> well, excuse me, I was a terrible free throw shooter, but that one looked good from the time that he left his hand. 
One of the most iconic moments in the history of the NCAA tournament when Bo Kimball shot his free throw left-handed against New Mexico State. And uh, he did that to honor his fallen teammate, Hank Gathers. Joining me on the phone right now is former Loyola Marymount and NBA star Bo Kimball. Bo, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Brian? How are you guys doing? Good. It's so good to talk to you. Uh, everyone thinks about you this time of year, especially authoring that incredible run in the NCAA tournament after the death of Hank Gathers. Bo, when did the idea come to you to shoot the free throw left-handed in each of the NCAA tournament games? And by the way, you were three for three. Yes. Uh, well, I was uh, talking to Father David. It was the night of the, uh, you know, when all of our family was uh, at Hank's apartment. And I was talking to Father Dave, and I was aware that our team was, you know, doing, uh, our younger players were doing, uh, was writing Hank's number on their sneakers and and uh, and his name and all of that. And I just, you know, didn't want to do that. And I, I just, it just popped into my head that I watched Hank Gathers work so hard uh, in high school together, uh, before practice, during practice, and after, same at USC, same at U, uh, Loyola Marymount. And he works so hard to be better that he got slightly better, but I just thought there was no better way to honor Hank than to shoot uh, the first free throw every game left-handed. Hank was so bad with his right hand, to those people that might not know, he was so bad with his right hand from a technique standpoint that he switched to his opposite hand, which was left-handed, and he had a better form. So he just felt more comfortable, made a little bit more shots, and uh that's what inspired me to do the same and honor him. And it definitely wasn't about making it any of the shots, but because uh, Hank, you know, I'm not right hand. I mean, I'm not left handed. I'm a righty. But it was about honoring my buddy, and that was my way to, you know, say selfishly, I love you and I miss you, Hank. And that's the way I wanted to to pay tribute to uh, to grieve Hank's loss. Bo, movies have been made, books have been written about your relationship with Hank Gathers. But in your own words, describe your relationship with Hank. Hank was like a brother to me. Um, we were, uh, a lot of people say we were best friends. Uh, I was just like a best friend. Uh, but we did, we had a lot of classes together. We spent enormous time together on the court, off the court. Uh, and uh, Hank was just full of life. I mean, anyone that had a chance to be around Hank, uh, he was the funniest person I'll ever be around. Uh, it's like being best friends with a Richard Pryor or a David Chappelle. I mean, <laughs> Hank was just that funny and full of life. And uh, so I just, you know, me missing Hank, and um, I just remember when I think of Hank Gathers, I think of what an amazing person he was. Uh, that's more important to me than the great basketball player that everyone uh, seemed to love. Uh, you know, losing Hank was like losing a brother, a person in the family. And uh, our, our families uh, were very close. Our mothers were tremendously close. Every time Hank and I went back to uh, Philadelphia on Christmas break, uh, we, we were always together. And uh, so I, he's sorely missed uh, by me and uh, by people that's close to Hank, you know, that knew him well. I mean, Hank was really an exceptional person. Well, and you guys went to high school together at Dobbins Tech in Philadelphia. You went to USC together, and then you transferred to Loyola Marymount. So you were basically joined at the hip. You guys had a lot of parallels in your lives. Uh, yes, we did. And we, uh, even in high school, we would finish practice. Go, go and we were planning about three leads after um, you know, after we got out of school. So we always met at Father Dave's house, and then uh, that was our gathering center per se. And then we went off to play in some lead, and, and this was like our whole starting five team. So we knew each other very well on the court, 
And going back to your first question that you asked me about, you know, the books, the movies, and, and how uh, Hank, we're always linked together. I tell you, I've been, I've been blessed to travel to 40 countries. And uh, even in Africa, in all the airports internationally, people come up to me and they know about Hank Gavis. They know about the free throw. They know about Loyola Marymount. They can tell you how much Hank scored and I scored in certain games. Uh, they can tell you we're from Philadelphia, and I'm just I'm just um, overwhelmed by the, the that people remember him, they respect him, they respect me, and they respect our team, and that's something to me that I'm I, I'll cherish forever. That even today, you know, people uh, remember Hank Gathers, and he'll be remembered primarily because of his, his great success that we had while he was alive. But then, you know, it's related to great success and tragedy. But um, someone said, hey, Bo, you know, how do you feel being always linked with Hank Adams? I said, well, I'm linked with someone that I had enormous respect for, and uh, it doesn't bother me at all. If you want to link Hank Adams and Bo Kimball together for life, no problem. Bo Kimball, former Loyola Marymount star, joining me. Bo, such an amazing run through the 1990 NCAA tournament after the death of Hank Gathers. What do you remember most about that emotional run? Because like you were just saying, I talked to people 22 years later, and they specifically remember those games against New Mexico State, against Michigan, against Alabama, and against UNLV. Well, you know, looking back at it, you know, as young kids, you know, we – we all we were doing is doing our best, you know, and to, to look back at it now, 22 years later, and know that our best is a historic best. It's just it's great pride to reminisce about that time. But when I look at the tapes and I think back to that, that I tried to tell as a cap, the co-captain of the team with Hank, I tried to tell our team, look, let's play, you know, the best we can. The players kept saying we're playing for our love of Hank, and I just wanted to caution them that we love Hank whether we win or lose. But that went in all that went in everybody's ear and out the other. They didn't they didn't pay me any attention. When that ball went up, they were playing for their love and respect of Hank Gathers. I remember players like Chris Knight, Chris Scott, uh, particularly Chris Scott was a player. He was a freshman, didn't really have a lot of great footwork. You know, he would get the ball in the lane sometimes and would travel because he was a little excited. Well, not after Hank died, he got that ball in the paint. He's head faking. Amazing footwork. Some unbelievable numbers from Loyola Marymount during that 1990 season. 122.4 points a game. That's a record that still stands. Seven times you guys broke the 140-point barrier. And then 12 times was the number of times that an LMU player broke the 40-point barrier by himself in a game. Talk about the system. I know you and Coach Westhead still talk. I had him on the show a few weeks ago. But such an amazing way that you guys ran that system. Well, you know, the system I, I know is the best offensive system in the country. And what makes it such is that you give unlimited freedom to all of the players on the court. The point guard is whether you make a basket or miss a basket, when it's in his hand, he's going as fast as he can to create a layup for himself. If you're fast enough to get one or two players back, no problem. He's going to find a Jeff Fryer and a Bo Kimball on both wings to pass to. It's the players, if the point guard don't get the layup, if Jeff and I get a shot that don't go in, well, watch out because Hank Evans is coming down as a four-man right down the center of the lane, rebounding against guards most of the time. And so you get these, you, know, you do that 40 and 50 possessions in a game, you get all of these extra rebounding uh, opportunities. And, uh, and then you balance that off with the full-court press, whether you make or miss, 
we're chasing you from behind. We're, we're, we're daring you to throw long because the easiest pass is to, to throw long and diagonal. So by being in such amazing shape and combining the offensive approach with the defense approach, it really takes every team out of their normal sets. There's no place of, of uh, comfort on the court. And over the course of the game, we're pretty much going to subject you to our pace, our our style, and there's no way to prepare for us because you anything you draw up won't be able you won't be able to execute. Bo, in 1990 in the NCAA tournament, you eventually lost to UNLV. I think to this day they're the only team that had the athletes to keep up with the way that you guys ran the system. Have you thought about? Remember the game before UNLV almost lost to Ball State, and I I still say if Ball State had beaten UNLV, Loyola Marymount would have gone on and won the whole thing. Well, I I, I lately have been uh, you know from a basketball uh, point of view. The game is always judged about statistics. And when you're the highest scoring team in college basketball that year, as Loyola was, you know, um, and, and mind you, let's go back. Uh, when we played UNLV in, UNL, at, in Vegas, we were on a 28-4 to run, and they called the bomb threat. Okay? So that stopped play for about 20 minutes to look for a, a, a suspicious package that they found, which was obviously a host. And then I think Tark called that in, don't you? Later. Don't you think Tark called that in? I think Jerry Tarkanian had something to do with that. I've always thought he did. Well, that was brilliant. <laughs> the was, uh, I mean, it, now normally our advantage was to have, if you were a team like UNLV and you get a 20-minute a bomb threat halftime and your normal halftime, well, that took away what we did best. And you, you know, so a 28-4 to four run could have easily went to a 40-10 to 10 run. But more importantly, from a cardio standpoint, could have really took them over the edge, which is what we did to other teams. And then I'll also um, mention that if Hank Gathers was alive, I could almost guarantee we would probably would have won the national championship because you would have had to score 123 points to beat us, and no one was better doing that than us. No, I so. agree. So, Bo, you're coaching now at Shoreline Community College in Washington. Tell us about that. You're running the system there. We are running the system, and I have a new video coming out, by the way, with Champion Productions called Basketball in the Fast Lane. And I'm teaching the system, and which is what we talked about earlier, is, is basically uh, when you run the system properly, you're, you're able to get a, a shot up in about six seconds or less, and then we're combining that with a full-court press the entire game. Uh, Shoreline Community College this year, with just one year of implementing this, was the highest scoring team in community college nationwide at 103 a game. Our opponents averaged 30 turnovers a game. And so we were, we're very proud of what we were able to do with these kids. Uh, for me, I love coaching. This is a passion, a dream come true. I'm able to be in the college level as well as running the system, which is exactly what I plan on doing uh, when I become a head coach at, a, you know, at another program. So we, we know the system works, and I'm glad that the, the, the younger players – bought into it enough. It was a long process, but they really, uh, we've had the greatest success in the school history. We were 3-1 and one in the NWAC conference, which has never happened in, uh, at Shoreline. So uh, this is a great year to build on, and I'm sure they're going to be better next year as well. Bo, you're 45 years old now. Do you wish you would have gotten into coaching a little sooner? Uh, no, I'm actually 44. But, um, oh, sorry. I, <laughs> Well, you know, when I was young, I used to lie and say I was uh, one year older, and I guess that <laughs> they never updated their stats, but I'm actually 44. I was born in uh, 
and 67. But um, but anyway, no, better late than never. I think the, the last seven years or so I've been trying to get into coaching, I've done myself a disservice because I never let the basketball community know that I wanted to be a head coach. So I applied for jobs, but I never let the media know. I never spoke out loud about it. Most of the time I do interviews like today, we talk about, uh, Loyola Marymount. Secondly, we talk about my foundation, which is saving lives. So I would forget to tell people, oh, by the way, guys, I'm, I'm trying to be a head coach and looking forward to, uh, you know, getting into the business. And uh, But now I'm doing, I'm making sure everyone know I want to be a head coach and I'm looking forward to doing so. Well, I think you'd be a fantastic head coach. Talk about the 44 for Life Foundation. You've been doing amazing work for the last several years with getting defibrillators into schools. Talk about that. Yeah, so 44 for Life was uh, was uh, founded uh, about four years ago. Uh, it was inspired by uh, a guy by the name of Robert Carter um, in New Jersey. He was in a, a game that I was playing in, and he uh, died of sudden cardiac arrest at 30 years of age. And uh, I was one of three people that was fanning this guy, but he didn't need us fanning him with a towel. He needed someone to implement CPR uh, in first aid. And I, I'm now a CPR instructor, but 44 for Life was... Um, Robert inspired us to do it, but we named it 44 for Life because of Hank Gather's number, and then the co-founder, Dr. Tamara Good, her dad died of sudden cardiac arrest. But our mission is to put defibrillators in everywhere by 2020, banks, supermarkets, schools, uh, you name it, uh, office buildings, etc. cetera. Uh, and we also, one of the key programs that we have is to provide echocardiogram and electrocardiogram screening uh, to kids that's 11 in the highest at risk age group, which is 8 to 19. So we are very proud of that because it's going to identify young kids and try to avoid what happened to uh, West Leonard's family, which is the 16-year-old guy in, uh, that died in Michigan, Hank Gather's family, as well as Robert Carter's family. So we want to identify that trait to save lives. And I'm very, this is the greatest work I've ever done. Better way to help an individual than to, to help save your life and or educate you to have a life skill to not go through the traumatic thing that I went through by watching a guy die and not be able to help. Bo, uh, where can people find out more information about 44 for Life and the work that you're doing with the foundation? Thank you. Yes, our website is www.the44forlife.org. And uh, if anyone out there needs a defibrillator or CPR training, uh, that's how we uh, raise funds and, and try to make the world a safer place. Uh, please reach out to us through our website. Before I let you go, I've been following Hank Gathers' nephew, Jordan Gathers, on Twitter, and he's going to the NCAA tournament after scoring nine points in St. Bonaventure's Atlantic 10 Championship game this weekend. Do you reach out to him? Do you Are you in touch with him at all? No, but I, 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 I'm aware of um, his success. His dad, Derek Gathers, um, is very proud of him. And I'm very happy, and I'm not shocked that uh, he's playing very well, and he's going to do great at Bonaventure. And uh, I think he has another uh, couple years ago, um, I believe. But um, it's in the genes. The gather genes are alive and well. So uh, I wish him good luck in the tournament. Bo, it is always fantastic to catch up with you. I wish we had more time. Tremendous work you're doing, not only coaching and spreading the word of the system, but the work you've done with 44 for Life. Uh, keep it up, and let's catch up again soon. You got it. Anyone want to learn about the system, please check out uh, Basketball in the Fast Lane. It'll be out uh, before the Final Four. All right, and you're on Twitter now, too, at Bo Kimball NBA, right? Yes. All right, we're going to have people follow you on Twitter, too. Thanks, Bo. 
Well, you're welcome. God bless you guys. Take care. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Greg Shaheen. He's the interim executive vice president of NCAA Championships and Alliances. He joins us every year for a terrific conversation around March Madness. Greg, how are you? Doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. So last year when we spoke on this show, you told me you have a staff of about 12 full-time people who work with you on the NCAA tournament full-time. How far in advance are you and your staff preparing for March Madness? Well, we're actually uh, on a couple of different fronts. We're year-round, we're working on it, and then we're also working ahead. So we're scheduled out all the way through the 2016 Final Four uh, in uh, Houston. And so we're actually working on every year uh, all the way through. So we have a, a certain stage of preparation that's ongoing all the way through the 2016 tournament. What's your checklist look like when you're planning? I mean, 2016, that's that's far off in advance. So uh, what is your requirement? What's your checklist look like leading up to that point? Pretty lengthy. Uh, we continue to learn about it. We continue to learn uh, about how we need to weigh our time and make sure that we're satisfied with the level of preparation and sequence. But I would say, you know, I think our master schedule of activities for any given year is a um, hundred pages long, single spaced. It's a, uh, it's a long and uh, some would say tedious, but labor of love. We just want to make sure that everything's done well. And we also want to learn from every year to make sure that we can make things better. Greg, how far in advance do you decide on the venues in the cities that will host the NCAA tournament? Well, we try to do it as far in advance as we can. The, uh, as I said, the Final Four has been decided through 16. Right. Preliminary rounds only through 13 right now. We're getting ready to go out for 14 and 15. Normally, we try to be about four years in advance. <clears throat> we're a little behind right now because we're tweaking some of the specifications with our other championships. One of the things we've done in the last year is consolidate all of our championship operations across all 89 championships into a single unit. And we're studying ways in which we might align 
some of the site selection among multiple championships together. How much does ticket sales factor into which venues and cities will host the NCAA tournament? Well, you want to make sure that it's it's uh, geographically reasonable for fans to, to get to the various venues. We want to make sure that uh, the venue has the amenities and is accessible by air uh, and all of the different hotels and so forth are available. So all that feeds together. It's not it's not an exclusive issue, but we certainly want to make sure that ticket sales uh, would be successful in whatever venue we go to. So I'm in Portland. I'm very excited to go to the Rose Garden this week to see the NCAA tournament. People here wonder all the time, will we get a regional? We've had you know the first few rounds for the last two times out now, counting this year. But what do you have to do to get a regional? Yeah, it's, it's a very similar site selection process. There's no difference. Uh, the reality is that hosting a second and third round as Portland is this this week, for example, you actually have you know, three sessions rather than the two sessions that come with uh, a regional, but there is absolutely no difference. So I would say uh, if Portland's interested, they should keep at it and demonstrate interest in in a regional. There's nothing that will keep them from being considered. Indy, Houston, New Orleans, they're obviously in the regular Final Four rotation. Is there anyone else that's in that rotation? Oh, I think that, uh, you know, we've, we're going to go back to Houston. We're going to uh, we're going to be in Dallas for the first time. We're going to be in Atlanta for the third time uh, in 11 years uh, next year. You know, we, we we go all around, and then yet we've also been to St. Louis, Detroit, Minneapolis, and then we've got potentially Los Angeles coming online. We've got Phoenix, Glendale to take a look at uh, again. Always San Antonio is a fan favorite. So, you know, we're blessed with a lot of facilities that have great interest in the event, and we certainly are interested in uh, spreading it around. We're joined by Greg Shaheen. He is in charge of March Madness on many, many levels. Busy guy. Appreciate him taking time to join us this week. What a great start to the tournament last night with the first four. Two incredible comebacks. Western Kentucky won a close game with Mississippi Valley State. They came from 16 down with 450 to play. But that was nothing compared to what BYU did coming back from 25 points against Iona. What a great way to start the tournament. Yeah, we'll take it. I'm in Dayton. We were there. It was uh, fascinating on top of it to have uh, President o- Obama and Prime Minister uh, Cameron in the uh, in the house. It was uh, it was very interesting. There was a lot going on last night. Uh, great way to get things started. A lot of fun. And uh, you know, for uh, several years, there when we were only having an opening round game, there was discussion about whether or not the teams felt that it was officially a tournament game. I think there was little doubt last night that the tournament was officially underway. Talk about all the planning that goes into hosting the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain. It is a uh, it is another labor of love. Uh, we started <laughs> uh, last Thursday, quite honestly, uh, with their advanced teams working on it, and all the way up through... Uh, their arrival had everything um, set up so that we could work through details and make sure that we had a variety of contingencies. 
uh, quite honestly, the, the folks that get the real credit are the people of Dayton who are incredibly flexible. The people at the facility were remarkable. And then, quite honestly, all eight teams, the teams that were playing Tuesday night as well as the teams that were are set to play Wednesday, um, it, it involved modifications to their schedule and uh, where they might be practicing and so forth because we certainly needed to abide by all of the Secret Service's guidelines and expectations and making the venue um, locked off for a period of time for them to do all the inspections. And that just required everybody's flexibility, but everybody has been fantastic. Can't complain at all. And um, it was really a, a remarkable experience. Well, I saw on TV the president was holding babies, taking pictures with people. Looked like he had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, I do that at every site, Brian. But you know, I think the, <laughs> I mean, the president to it was uh, was very was very special and uh, truly an honor to have uh, both of them. And then we also had President Emmert uh, from our uh, operation. We also had the heads of Turner Sports here. So it was a, it was a very interesting night. Did they get the opportunity to mingle with President Obama and Prime Minister Cameron? Briefly, they did, absolutely. So it was, uh, upon their arrival, they were able to be part of the greeting party along with the president of uh, the University of Dayton. So everything went very well and uh, just a special opportunity for everyone. Did the president stick around for the whole thing or does he have to like make the early exit? He wound up uh, staying through all of the first game and staying for a bit of the break. Um, I know that they had commitments before and after, so it was a relatively tight schedule. Uh, but he was he, he was there for uh, I think two and a half hours. That's pretty good for someone. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll, he, take, we'll take it. He's almost as busy as you, so that's that's pretty good for well, him. That's to... right, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about the tournament field. You expanded to 68 teams last year. Were you pleased with how that worked out? Sure. I mean, I, I, again, same thing. You know, if you think all the way back to 2009, uh, when we were when we first went to the Final Four in the round, if you will, we have Michigan State. Uh, a local favorite. Then we in 2010 and 11 we had uh, Butler. Uh, then last year we had VCU running from the first four to the final four. I mean, we have been really quite fortunate um, through the years to to have stories emerge from the games that make this special. Uh, and you know, we don't take that for granted at all. These are these are remarkable young people, remarkable teams, and uh, going to 68 and starting with the first four, just everything has been uh, has been really wonderful. Can't can't uh, say enough about the basketball committee, as well as our membership's interest in doing uh, these various things and trying to make the event better for everybody involved. The other thing I really like what you've done over the last few years is how transparent you've been with the selection process. I imagine that's worked out exactly as you intended, right? Or are there still people out there that have uh, question marks about it? Well, I mean, I think they still have question marks and the debate goes on, but that we didn't worry about whether or not there would be debate. We, and we like the debate, the water cooler talk, the advocacy for, you know, my favorite team or your favorite team or whatever. That's what is makes this all so special but all we want is that debate to be more informed and that's exactly what you know has happened at this point in time exactly what we wanted 
And it's uh, one of the key things as we go forward. And in fact, this transparency has become part of our, you know, our approach and everything that we do. There's almost nothing that we find that we don't ultimately determine, let's go ahead and talk about that. Let's go ahead and release that. Um, Jeff Hathaway, who is our chair this year, has been probably our greatest advocate in this regard, very forthcoming and so forth. But it's not about limiting the debate. It's just about making sure the debate's as informed as possible. Greg Shaheen, Interim Executive Vice President of NCAA Championships and Alliances, is joining us. Greg, last year you started a 14-year, $10.8 billion deal with CBS and Turner. I absolutely loved watching Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, Steve Kerr, Marv Albert and company join the broadcast. Your thoughts on the first year of that new partnership? Uh, I mean, it was everything we hoped for. They are uh, a remarkable uh, team in terms of Turner and CBS. Uh, it, it has turned out to be uh, exactly what we hoped for as well. Again, you know, these are major decisions that impact our organization significantly. And when you take chances with change, you have to be willing to admit when something doesn't go well. Uh, this, is, this is one of those that, that actually worked exactly as we hoped. You know, it's more perspective, more personality. Uh, it really provides a different look and feel how the championship uh, is shown, uh, very special, and the feedback, excellent. When we did a independent study after the championship last year, it showed that 91% of those we surveyed uh, found the tournament to be exceptional uh, and the coverage to be exceptional, which uh, you know we've all read enough surveys to know that doesn't happen uh, very often at all. So to have... Uh, such positive feedback is great. Sets the bar high, though, so we've got to make sure that every year we're focusing on what else we can do to make it better. Are there any new technologies on TV or online that you'll be adding to the tournament coverage this year? Well, on, we in Evolving March Madness On Demand to March Madness Live, we've put it on more platforms. Uh, it's available on Android and so forth, and we've really enhanced the the platform in terms of uh, the amount of features that are available on it, the clarity. I was watching last night. You could see the system uh, crystal clear, uh, whether you're working off of a wireless or a Wi-Fi either way. And so is the, I think the technology just continues to evolve in the ways in which you can receive the games and uh, we'll continue to examine those options anyway, any any anytime we can. Some minor things on air in terms of graphic elements and so forth that we've enhanced. Uh, and just other than that, always looking for what's next. Greg, I see there's a $3.99 fee for streaming video of the tournament this year, but I was a little bit unclear. Who's paying that and who's still getting it for free? Can you explain? Sure. If you're a subscriber to... Uh, a cable subscriber or satellite subscriber to any of the networks that carry the tournament, so CBS, True, uh, TNT, and TBS, you can access it online and uh, and be able to use your cable password or satellite password to to pick up the signal for free. That's part of your package, depending on your operator, obviously. But in that case, it's part of your cable package. There's no additional charge 
or you can just pay $3.99, get the app. Uh, you don't have to worry about the password and so forth, and you can get all the platforms straight out either way. Uh, but that way you're able to watch it without any concern uh, and be able to um, take care of all the technology. It's all part of how the TV Everywhere platform continues to take uh, take hold in terms of uh, mobile technology as we go forward. I think the three ninety nine is fine. I think it's a great price, actually. But have you gotten any pushback from people who said, you know what, before this was free, why am I paying any money for it now? Yeah, you know what, we've gotten some questions, some scrutiny and honesty about it. But as you said, it's hard to sit there and say for $4, you mean I can see every game and not even hassle with any other issue to be able to get online. I can take full advantage of the package. $4 is quite a reasonable price to pay for the technology that's packed into it. Because of the expanded TV coverage, and we talked about this last year, did your online numbers suffer at all, people who are watching March Madness on demand? I don't know. I mean, our online numbers are still robust. Um, I think people are trying to figure out all the different ways you can take this tournament in, whether it's in person uh, or uh, on air or online. It's just uh, it's a matter of having almost too many choices at times, perhaps. So you're the man in charge of championships and alliances for the NCAA, and I know we've had this conversation before, but you know the BCS TV contract is expiring in 2014. Do you think we're any closer to a playoff in Division I college football? And with that contract coming up, are those conversations and debates at least taking place now? Well, I think that the, um, the discussion that you hear and read about is – exactly what our membership's looking at. You know, I think they're uh, considering everything. We are a membership organization. In our, in our role, our, we're a membership organization. We do what our membership tells us. BCS is a unique and separate uh, entity in this regard, as you know, and they decide how they want to proceed going forward. But uh, certainly those discussions are ongoing. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. I mean, you've got to think, and I've said this before too, but you know, the NCAA tournament for basketball, 14 years, $10.8 billion deal, I would think you could get even more money for a Division One college football playoff. So you've got to think that the money's there, at least, or the demand from uh, the TV networks for something like that. Well, sure. I, mean, I would think there would be a significant demand, and anything to bring order to the system is a good thing. But again, it's it's our membership's decision, and so I know those debates are going on between them and with, uh, within those walls, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, Greg, a few minutes left, but you run the NIT, too. I mean, you're, you're not just doing the NCAA tournament, which is a huge event in itself. So how do you run the NIT simultaneously to the NCAA tournament? Oh, well, you know, don't forget wrestling and swimming and diving and Everything else we've got ongoing, we've got all that all at the same time as well. Wow. Uh, it's kind of a matter of spinning plates. We've got great people that are involved full-time in operating our championships. I'm very fortunate to be supported and support them in that regard. So uh, we've just got great people who are involved in the very special opportunity of staging these events. You need to clone yourself. Oh, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what people... 
uh, you know, I think people feel that many people feel that having one of me is too. Well, <laughs> hey, whatever works. What's your management style with your team? I mean, are you pretty much uh, are you a hands on guy? Or are you uh, how do you manage people? <laughs> it's a great uh, it's a great question. I don't know that I know the answer. I try and trust everybody who's involved, and plus they give me a reason not to. But I stay out of things uh, until there's some indication to me that I need to be involved and then I can swoop in as needed if something is necessary. But in general, my goal is to uh, allow these uh, events and so forth to transpire on their own. I trust them. Uh, These are uh, remarkable experiences for everybody involved uh, and uh, just want to try and create an environment that is innovative and inspirational for those who are competing as well as those who are running the events. Well, I think you've definitely done that. Before I let you go, a lot of students, especially sports MBA students, listen to this show. I get questions all the time about what's the best way to get into the sports industry. Talk for a minute or so about how you got into the industry and maybe any suggestions you have for our listeners who are looking to get into the sports industry. Yeah, well, I am a about as unconventional um, an example as possible and probably proof that you know, it could happen to anyone, if you will. The, I was a volunteer. I was in private sector running a family business, and uh, I volunteered whenever the NCAA events were in Indianapolis. And then when the NCAA uh, just decided to move to Indianapolis from Oakland Park, Kansas, uh, I was asked by our community to be involved in helping to coordinate the design and move the NCAA to its new complex in Indianapolis. And um, after that project was done, there was essentially an entry-level opening. They asked if I had interest in getting in it, Uh, and I said, sure. And it really is the work style that I think is the differentiator. In my case, I am... uh, Certainly not the brightest bulb in the bunch, but my goal is to always make sure that whatever's in front of me is uh, what will get done no matter what. And the goal is to outwork anyone, anything, and make sure that anything can get done uh, without concern. And that's really what I focus on. I believe that I can, um, I can make a difference quietly by just helping make things better, and ultimately that work product will show. So my advice is to uh, quietly outlook everyone, and it will take care of itself. Greg, great advice. I appreciate you joining me so much. Greg Shaheen, Interim Executive Vice President of NCAA Championships and Alliances. Follow him on Twitter at G.A. Shaheen. I see your tweets and uh, find them all fascinating and interesting. You liking Twitter? Oh, I am. It's always uh, always interesting. You know, creates the forum for everyone to have a comment. Very very interesting, but uh, enjoy it a great deal. Greg, best of luck with the tournament this year. I always enjoy our annual conversations, and I look forward to our next one. Take care. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Enjoy. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SBRadio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. 
Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're back. Griggs and I went to the NCAA tournament here in Portland at the Rose Garden this week. Griggs, uh, we got to sit next to the uh, Wichita State Shocker. I had never seen what a shocker look like. And the ironic thing is is that the Shockers played Shaka Smith and his VCU team. So I wanted to see a picture afterwards of Shaka with the Shockers. Yeah, that would have been great. And uh, yeah, the mascot. When you see those mascots up close, you realize how corny and how dirty the well, suits are. And it's I don't like... even know what that is. He yeah, had like is yellow that? hair, kind of some braids. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he was like trying to be electricity. I think or, so. I think. I don't know what it was. But yeah, the Shaka and the Shocker, it was uh, quite a battle. Epic. Yeah, <laughs> but it's always fun to watch the NCAA tournament. Uh, tell you what, I listened to Shaka Smith and his press conference. That guy is a, a bright guy, well-spoken guy, uh, heck of a coach. So, yeah. you know, it's fun, and it's been fun the last uh, year and a half or so, you know, last year's tournament and, and this year's tournament, watching him coach VCU. I've got to think he's going to move on to a bigger job at some point. No yeah. offense, VCU. No, I agree with you. And, you know, he's, he's one of those coaches where you find yourself watching him during the game because he's fun to watch. He's so into the game and he's got well, and he his dresses, hands. He looks like the student manager. Yeah. Like when you walk <laughs> in, you're almost like, uh, yeah, can I have a towel? Yeah, who are you? Who are you? What? Water bottle, please. No, but he's, he's fun to watch dynamic and I think he will be at a big university soon. Yeah, he's good. So... We'll continue to watch March Madness. A lot of thank yous on the show. John Wartime of Sports Illustrated. Josh Shaw of Mission Athlete Care. Bo Kimball, our friend from Loyola Marymount back in the day, former NBA star, doing a great job at Shoreline Community College, coaching them, leading them. 105 points a game. Great job. And Greg Shaheen, the man who makes March Madness go for the NCAA. I always enjoy our conversations with him each year. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our show. You can follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. 
We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com.